Habakkuk. It's the Old Testament. Um, it's a short letter in the Old Testament, and it's named after a dude who was called Habakkuk. Don't name your kid that. Like, there's lots of Bible names. This is not the one to choose. Although, if you do, you know what? Honestly, mad respect. And he's, he's going to be a killer for the rest of his life. It's going to be awesome. Habakkuk chapter three. Habakkuk starts because things are not good for the people. Um, the kingdom of Judah is on its last leg. Things are not going well. And Habakkuk turns to God and he says, God, where are you? Like, what are you doing right now? And why aren't you showing up and why aren't you fixing this? And so Habakkuk is short three chapters where Habakkuk is going back and forth with God and God doesn't give him like some nice answer. It's not like an easy answer. And in Habakkuk chapter three, Habakkuk, Habakkuk <laughs> describes seeing God doing something about the problem. And it says, the sun and the moon stood, stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the land, and in anger, you threshed the nations. This is violent. This is aggressive. This is God going to war. Why? It says you came to deliver your people. You came to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waters. Like these are the parts of the Bible that we don't read. And there's a reason why. Because we can understand God meek and mild and loving and kind. We get that. And that fits, especially with like our worldview. Guys, we have grown up in a pretty safe place, relatively, in human history. We are in a safe world. And safe places make people weak. And so we have a hard time understanding a God who goes to war. Because to us, it's like, ooh, war is evil. War is not evil if you are fighting against evil, if you are fighting for love, if you are fighting for hope, if you are fighting for people. And so, and so God goes to battle. God goes to war in order to defend and deliver his people. And the truth is that we need to make sure that we have a theology that doesn't only accept the fact that God is good and kind and nice, we also need to understand that God is a fierce God who is ready to destroy the power of evil. And here's why we need that theology, because the truth is, is that you're going to brush up against evil and you're going to taste hell in this world because we live in a world where there is a lot of hell. And if God is only nice and not powerful, then you're not going to understand how God could let evil happen. But the truth is, is that God doesn't let evil happen because he's weak and gets steamrolled by it. God confronts evil in order to destroy it. All right, so Habakkuk goes on this long description of this God, but Habakkuk's response is not, yay, God's gonna destroy all the bad things. No, he goes on and he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. In other words, I was scared to death. So here's God showing up in order to 
deliver his people. And why would Habakkuk be afraid of that? Because the truth is, is that sometimes we don't really want God to fight against the things that are holding us back. The truth is, is that it is easier to stay in dysfunction than it is to get up and face dysfunction in order to land in healing and wholeness. And two weeks ago, I started this series called The Violent Protest of Joy by challenging us not to stay in dysfunction, but to get up and move forward into the wholeness that God has created for us. The wholeness, actually, that Jesus paid with his blood on a violent death in order to purchase for us that we would not stay in dysfunction, but we would say, I'm going to wholeness. And the truth is, is that sometimes that process is not easy. It is not nice to go through. And sometimes it hurts a little bit. Sometimes it's easier if God just lets things be the way they are instead of showing up in our lives in order to fix what needs to be changed. Because if God shows up to fix what needs to be changed, it might mean that I have to change. It might mean that I have to let go of some things I'd rather hang on to. It might mean that I have to relearn some different ways of thinking, right? And I don't always want that because I'd rather let God fix everybody else, but not me. And so Habakkuk is scared because God has come with vengeance and fire and power to destroy the evil. And he's scared. I love how C.S. Lewis wrote this. He talked about what God is ultimately trying to do in our lives. He says this, that God will make us into a dazzling creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. See, that's what God's doing in our lives. He's taking us to a place. Go put the, put the first part of that back up. He's taking us to a place where we are pulsating with energy and joy and wisdom and love. That's where he's taking us. Isn't that beautiful? Right, but in order to get there, God's gotta deal with some things. And the truth is, is that I would like to be there right now perfectly. And I'd like the work to be done. But God doesn't do what he wants to do overnight. He does it through a process. See, God wants to heal you. He wants to take you to that dazzling image of his glory. And it would be great. I wish I could get up here and say, at the end of the service, we're going to have an altar call. And if you want to come down here, Miss Robin, who's amazing, is going to lay hands on you. She's going to pray for you. And everything is going to be fixed immediately. And you know what? God can do that. Absolutely, he can, especially through Miss Robin. He can. <laughs> he can. But the truth is, is that if God just fixed your marriage in one instant, you would probably never learn how to be different to your spouse which is what got you into the mess you're in in the first place. If God just fixed your money overnight, you would never learn how to steward your money well so that you were standing in a position of strength instead of a constant position of weakness because your selfishness rules your checking accounts. See, see, God needs to change us, and he doesn't always do it immediately. He can. He can raise the dead. He can cure cancer in one second. He can, but often God chooses to work through a process. Do you know why he works through a process? Because it's in the process that we are transformed from the inside out. And so Habakkuk, he is trembling because I think that he knows that God is showing up to do something, but it might be a little ugly in the process. And some of you are sitting back waiting for God to do something in your life, but he's not doing it because you won't 
let him take you through the process. I want to come to church for two weeks and have my problems fixed. And you know what? God can meet you in this place on one week. And he will. But you cannot, you cannot compare that to consistently being rooted in the house of God for decades. The maturity and the strength and the growth that happens by showing up week after week after week cannot be replaced by just showing up one time. It can't. Why? Because God works through a process. And so Habakkuk, he is scared of what God is about to do, probably because he knows it might be a little bit ugly. But yet he makes this choice. He says in verse 16, all of these things about my legs trembling. And then he says, but I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, here's my decision. I'm a wait. I'm, a, I'm freaking out. I don't know how this thing is gonna go, but here's my decision. I'm staying for the process. I'm staying for the process. See, God wins in the end, right? Like the victorious God coming to defeat evil. He's gonna win. There is no question about the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and in the end, he defeats all of evil. No question, he's gonna win. But every single day of our life, we decide what wins in our heart. We decide what we let win because some of you are letting your bitterness win. Every day you're like, God, I want you to do something great. But then it's like, but I'm gonna hang on to how angry I am at my ex. Right? And he's like, well, you're letting the bitterness win. You're choosing. God is victorious, but you're letting the bitterness have the say, the authority, the rule of your heart. Right? Some of you are like, I'm going to let my past win. Because I'm going to live under a cloud of shame that defines who I am. And it doesn't matter how much blood Jesus spilled to make me his child. I'm still going to believe that I'm a piece of garbage because my past tells me that I am, or my dad told me that I am, or my teacher told me that I am. And so I'm gonna let the shame win. Some of you, some of you, you're, you're gonna let your own selfishness win. And every day you choose. Am I gonna serve God? Or am I gonna serve myself? Every day you choose. Some of you let the gossip win, the negativity win. What are you gonna let win in your heart today? See, the truth is every single one of us are gonna brush up against hell. We're gonna have reasons, justifiable reasons for being angry and bitter. We're gonna have reasons for feeling shame. We're gonna have reasons for feeling stuck, for feeling negative. We're gonna have reasons for letting all of the evil win because you will face it. But here's the good news. You don't have to let it win. You don't have to let it win. I, I took, um, me and AJ, we took our two younger kids to Disney on ice yesterday. That thing is a racket. It's like, it's like so much money to get in. And then on the way in, there's like, at children's eye level, 45 different opportunities for them to buy something that is massively overpriced. And they were about two minutes in to the show when they're like, well, I want a popcorn and I want a snow cone and I want a crown and I want a cotton candy. And they're all like 500 times more than they ought to be. In fact, on the way into the arena, there was someone outside of the arena. Actually, there were a lot of them. Some of you here at the city campus probably ran into them on the way here because it's happening tonight again. 
there are these people outside of the arena selling like non-Disney licensed like glow things. You know, it's like they're not legit, but like they kind of look like the other ones and they glow and they flash and all of that stuff and they're insane. And the lady's like, they're half price. They're still insane and they actually are half price from the licensed ones. And, and so Zion walks up and, you know, there is a shiny disco ball looking, you know, unicorn and London is like, I need it. And Zion, there is this sword that lights up and makes noises. And he's like, I have to have the sword. And I was like, all right. It's like, I knew what we were getting into. It's like, just take all my money. Just take it all. Disney on ice. You know, it's like, and uh, he got the sword and she got the, I don't even know what it is, a unicorn stick flashing, like disco ball thing. And they were whacking the people in front of us the whole time. And you know what? So is everyone else's kid. Welcome to Disney on ice. It's like the whole time. <laughs> and um, anyway, so, you know, we're two minutes in and we have to buy the, you know, snow cone and everything else. And, but there's all, but then there's all of the Disney licensed things inside that are actually twice as expensive. And, and Zion has his flashing sword, but then he sees a Mickey sword. And he's like, well, I have to have the Mickey sword too. And I'm like, I'm not buying you two swords. And then I realized why he wanted the second one. Because he wanted to sword fight with me. I know. How could you say no? You can't. So he got two swords. <laughs> and ever since then, all he wants to do is sword fight. Like all day yesterday, he wanted to sword fight. This morning, before church, he wanted to sword fight. You know, it's all he wants to do. And it's amazing. Now, the funny thing is, is that if Zion wants to pick a fight with me, I mean, it's not exactly a fair fight, right? He's five years old. So it's like, I could pummel him if I wanted to. But, but, <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> the point is, is that sometimes I let him win. Do you know why? Because I want him to learn that he's brave and he's strong and he can win in life. And sometimes I don't let him win because I want him to learn that he's got to fight if he wants to see victory, right? And so he's got to learn how to be strong. But the funny thing is, is that some of you are letting all kinds of bad things win in your life. And it's just like me letting Zion win in a sword fight with plastic swords. It's stupid, but you can let it happen if you want to. But a lot of us let our dysfunction win. We let our brokenness win. We let the pile that the world gives us win. We let our shame win day after day after day because we don't think that we can fight back. But the problem is that God doesn't give you the victory immediately. He's won the victory, but he outworks it in your life through a process. It's not about showing up to fight today. It's about showing up to fight today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and when I'm 25 and when I'm 35 and when I'm 45 and showing up to fight for the victory that God's given me when I feel like the process is taking forever and when I feel like the process has just started. But here's what happens if I will embrace the process, progress comes through process. Now we wanna snap our finger, fingers and get everything right away because that's what our world tells us. And, and honestly, millennials, we have a bad go at this because we have some peers who were like multi-billionaires by the time they were 25. And every single one of us struggle with feeling like I should be as successful as Mark Zuckerberg. Is it Berger or Berg? Did I call him the wrong? 
Mark, Mark Zuckerberger. No. Zuckerberg. All right, hang on. No, it's not burger. I'm just going to call him that from now on. Anyway, that's right. Facebook is from hell anyway. So we're just now kidding. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, it's a good tool if you use it right. Anyway, back on track. <laughs> we have this pressure because it's like we need to be successful right now. We need to be married right now. We need to have perfect children right now. We need to graduate college right now. Like right now. But God's like, it will happen through a process. And some of you are frustrated with God and some of you even doubt your faith because it's taking a long time. And some of you, like Habakkuk, are looking at God saying, where are you? Why is this taking so long? And you're like, God's abandoned me in the waiting room. But God doesn't abandon his children. He doesn't sideline you to the waiting room. In fact, you need to have a perspective shift tonight. You are not in the waiting room. You are in the training room. The waiting room is really the training room. It's in the training room where you're going to learn how to be whole. It's in the training room that you're going to learn how to have victory every single day. But in order to let the training happen, you've got to be willing to face the resistance. All right, so it's interesting that when we get to the very end of the Bible, Jesus has won total victory over all evil, and he has ended it permanently. And and then he makes all of heaven and earth brand new. And then you see all of the people who were redeemed because they accepted the grace of Jesus. But there's an interesting word that Revelation uses to describe the believers. Those of us who've accepted Jesus. Because he doesn't, Revelation doesn't call them the redeemed. He, he doesn't call them the saved. He doesn't call them the believers. Do you know what Revelation calls us at the end of all things? Calls us overcomers. Which implies that we had to face some hell, but we kept fighting and moving forward anyways. So I want to take you to Revelation and, and look at some of the things that happen when we choose to overcome. Because overcoming is a choice. Habakkuk chose to be up for the process. He chose, even though he was afraid, to be consistent and believe that God would one day bring the victory. And when we choose to be overcomers, there are some things that God does in our lives and in our hearts through the process. Can I teach you these things for a minute? I have a couple minutes left. Revelation 2 verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. See, the overcomers, God says, Eat from the tree of life. What's that mean? Well, every single one of us are feeding our soul on something. Feeding our minds and our emotion with things that we input into ourselves. But the overcomers have learned how to eat what God gives us that produces life. Because the truth is, is that I can't be an overcomer if I feed myself a steady diet of negativity. I, I can't have courage for the battles that I'm in if I'm over here all day eating gossip at work. I can't because I'm feeding myself things that are not making me strong. It would be like you going to the gym for three hours a day to get strong, but the only thing you eat is Cheetos. I mean, they're good. <laughs> Every once in a while, you know? But here's the problem. 
It does not matter how much resistance training you do. If the only thing you're putting into your body is garbage, you are not gonna be strong. No, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna come into the gym, you're gonna do your reps, and then you're gonna puke all over the machine. Don't come to my gym. <laughs> you have to eat things that make you strong. So what are you gonna eat? Let me tell you, if you're scrolling for hours a day on social media, you are eating things that are not making you strong. You, you are feeding yourself comparison, envy. You're, you're, you're feeding yourself a false reality. Hey guys, this is why porn is so destructive. Because you're feeding yourself a false reality that numbs you for intimacy. And so we feed ourselves things that destroy us. Well, then I can't be strong enough to overcome what's in my path. And you need to be an overcomer. So while I'm in the fight, I'm learning something. It's in the fight, it's in the waiting, it's in the process that I learn how to feed myself things that make me strong. See, I've learned that I could drive down the road listening to fun music, or I could drive down the road filling my soul with something that puts me closer to God. I can choose that. Now, I'm not against listening to you know, music, but what I'm saying is I had to learn something a few years ago. This is a number of years ago where I said, I need to have worship music on when I'm driving because if I don't, I'm weak. Because I'm going day after day after day on the front lines of a battle zone. And I wanna be on the front line. And I wanna confront hell and I wanna bring heaven to earth. So I can't have a normal diet. I have to have a curated diet so that I can have the strength that I need in order to do what I'm called to do. Now, if I wanna be an ordinary person, I can eat ordinary things. I don't wanna be an ordinary person. Y'all know what Tom Brady eats? Anyone look at his diet? It's insane. All of us would be like, I'm not eating that because it's not fun. But you know what? That dude has eaten what he needs to eat in order to get the job done that he needs to get done. The truth is, what are you feeding yourself? If you're feeding yourself gossip, you will be weak. If you're feeding yourself things that make you compare yourself against other people, it would be, can I be honest with you? You need to listen to the word more than you watch Facebook. You need to listen to sermons more than you're watching cable news. You need it. You need it. You need it. I realized a few years ago that there were a couple guys who appears to me, who I like, and um, I was following them on Instagram, and I had to stop following them. And they're great guys, nothing against them at all. I realized I was getting into a trap where I was comparing myself against them. And I thought, this is not healthy for my soul. I have to overcome this because I need to feed myself things that's gonna make me strong. All right, I gotta move on. Revelation 2, verse 11. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The first death is my physical body given out on me. But what this is talking about is your spiritual death the death of your soul. And see, what he's saying is that the overcomers didn't escape natural death, but they did escape spiritual death. What does that mean? That means that they weren't afraid of losing what this world had to offer them because they were counting on something greater for their lives. My God, I heard this story this week. It was in the uh, Post-Gazette about a Ukrainian Orthodox priest here in Pittsburgh who traveled to Poland with a couple other people in order to 
drive themselves across the border into Ukraine last week to go pick up, I think it was 20 orphans from an, how many was it? 37, you know the story? Your boyfriend's church, awesome. And so they, 37 orphans, and they drove them across the border into Poland. He could have stayed in Pittsburgh. He could have stayed in Pittsburgh, but he didn't. He went into the war zone. See, some of us are gonna brush up against hell because life dishes us hell. But the overcomers, not afraid of what life dishes us. See, we're different. We set our eyes on a target and we say, I don't care if they kill my body, they can't take my spirit. So I'm gonna go anyway. Now, I'm not advocating being stupid, but what I am saying, what I am saying is that, is that if you're gonna be an overcomer, it means that you have faced some resistance in your life and you have learned that because of what Jesus has done for you, you are defeat proof. They can take my body, but they can't take me. See, that's how the gospel of Jesus Christ took over the earth in the first century. A bunch of people who said, yeah, they might kill me, but they can't really kill me, so I'm gonna talk about Jesus anyways. I want that kind of spirit, right? I want that kind of attitude. But that only comes through facing resistance and deciding that I'm gonna be an overcomer even when there is resistance. Revelation 2, verse 26. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. I'll give you power over the nations. So God talks about people who've overcome operating on a level of authority. And I operate on a level of authority because I've learned how to fight and win even when there is resistance and even when it takes a process. And what this tells me is that while I'm in the fight, I'm learning something. I'm learning how to step into my authority. See, some of you, have a position of authority that God's given to you, but you don't know how to operate in authority. Fathers in the room, you can choose. Sit on the lazy boy, watch the TV, eat the potato chips, or rise up and be the authority to set the pace in your home that this home is gonna be a loving place. This place is gonna be a safe place. This place is gonna be a place where the children are built up and loved and encouraged. I'm gonna look them in the eye and I'm gonna tell them who they are. I'm gonna take my authority as a God-given father and I'm gonna be a father that they need. But it's easier to be passive. Talking to the moms too. Take your authority as someone who's anointed by God to create heaven on earth in your home. Don't just let life happen to you, take your authority. Some of you need to take your authority as a believer in Jesus, that you have authority because God has anointed you to bring heaven to earth. Now, I'm not saying to push your way to the top or fight for a position. No, I'm not talking about position at all. I'm talking about a strength and a courage in your soul that knows who I am in Jesus, and I know the fights that I've been destined to fight and the places that I'm meant to create, and I lock my eyes on it, and I don't back down from it. Real authority is actually a heart of service. You want to really change things? You want to really have power? Pour yourself out for the benefit of somebody else. Next one, Revelation 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven. And I will write on him my new name. So this talks about having a name written on you, but it's really about telling you where you belong. Saying, here's your home. Your home is not this earth. Your home 
is in heaven. Your home is God's house. And see, for a lot of us, we need to have this revelation because the truth is, is that we are weak today because we are looking to natural earthly things to give us security. But when I've understood that my safe place is the house of God, heaven, I've learned that my security is not gonna come from something in this earth. My security is not in my relationship. My identity is not in the person who says that they love me. My security isn't in how many people follow me on social media or listen to me talk. My security is not in whether or not people think I'm cool. My security is not in whether or not someone says that they love me. My security is not in my paycheck. It can't be in those things because all of those things will be shaken. And if I put my security in this, and I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm just saying that when that is my security, it means I'm gonna be left very weak and I will fold under pressure. But it's in the training room, in the process, that I learn where real security comes from. I learn where I'm really secure. I wasn't secure in the guy or the girl. I was secure in my father's embrace. I was secure in his love. Next one. Revelation 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. That's crazy. You see what that says? To him who overcomes, sit on the throne with Jesus. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What does that mean? Sitting on the throne is talking about Jesus having dominion over evil and dominion over all things. And see, what that means is that I have learned how to rest in my father's power and authority. That real strength doesn't come because I've learned how to be strong. Real strength comes because I've learned how to rest in his power. It's not my throne that I'm sitting on. Did you catch that? It's not my throne. It's his throne. It's not my authority that I walk in. It's his authority that I walk in. And so I rest in God's saving power. I walk and rest in God's saving power. See, some of you have been, you know, blindsided by life. And you, your response has been, I'm gonna show them. I'm stronger than them, I'm bigger than them, I'm approved that I'm worth it, that I can make something in my life. But all that that has done is make you a toxic human being who is immune to love. God's not asking you to muster up your own strength. Do you know what he's doing? He's pulling you into a trusting, dependent relationship with him where you trust in his strength in his power, in his authority, in his dominion. I didn't need to be strong because he was strong for me. So it wasn't my strength that I walk in, it's his strength that I walk in. Oh, but that is strength and that is authority. It's just not mine, it's his, but I'm walking in it. To him who overcomes, Revelation 2.17. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Manna was the bread from heaven that God sent to the people of Israel when they were in the desert. And they collected it every morning and they ate it and it made them strong. To him who overcomes, I will give them manna. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is written, which no one knows except for him who receives it. Now that's mysterious. It's awesome. Here's what it says. It's God looking you in the eye and saying, hey, Izzy, come here. I'm gonna give you something. And no one else knows what's on there except for me and you. 
But here's what's on there. The name I'm giving you, what I'm calling you, what I'm saying that you are. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, your identity wasn't determined by the people around you. It wasn't determined by what happened to you. It wasn't determined by what someone said about you. Your identity was determined by your father. And he revealed it personally to you. See, see, that's something I can only learn when I'm in the fight, when I'm in the process. In one instant, I could make a decision that I feel like would make my life better. But the truth is, the thing that's really gonna make me the person I was made to be can only be learned through a process. See, it's in the fight that I'm learning who I really am. Every day of my life that I choose to let his victory win, I learn more and more who I really am. And some of you are defeated today. And it's because you haven't let God show you who you really are. That's why God brought you here. Because he's pulling you close. And he's saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, let me tell you who you really are. There's an overcomer in you. There's a victorious champion in you. Let me show you. But he's gonna have to kill off the things that aren't the real you. Which is why Habakkuk was scared to death. Because that process wasn't gonna be quick or easy. But Habakkuk made a decision. I'm gonna wait for God to do what he needs to do. And I'm not moving. And I'm not bailing on the process. I'm gonna take the training. And I'm gonna wait on the Lord. Right after Habakkuk says, I've decided to wait patiently for the Lord. He then goes into this song. He starts singing. Remember, this is a battle scene. God's coming to fight. Habakkuk is scared. He decides to say anyways. But then he writes this song, and it's a really depressing song. <laughs> he says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the, yield, and the fields yield no food. Here's what he's describing. If you live in an agricultural world, which none of us do, but he did, he's describing the apocalypse. He's like, even if my checking account has zero, and I've got nothing saved. And my car is broken down and I didn't have money for gas anyway. Even though there's no roof over my head and no job that I could possibly have. Even though it feels like no one is with me and no one is for me. Even though I have nothing to eat, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He's saying, even if it is all going to hell, I've made my decision. I'm up for the process, and I'm going to rejoice while I'm in the process. I'm going to praise while I'm in the process, because he's fighting for victory now, and I haven't realized the full extent of it, but my God, I know that he wins the victory in the end. So I'm going to praise today like I have the victory I'm waiting for. I love how it says, I love how it says, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. Put it back on the screen. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I love how this translation uses joy as a verb. I will joy today. All right, I wake up in the morning. I'm a joy today, Monday morning. I'm a joy today, Tuesday. I'm going to joy today. I love that. See, do you know what joy is? Joy is not something that you snap your fingers and have. Joy is something that is learned through a process. It is learned through a fight. And joy is where you land when you have decided to face evil and stand your ground anyway. See, joy is a violent protest against the savage wounds begging me to choose defeat. I will joy today. So I want to give you, so I want to give you a couple choices that you need to make tomorrow morning. Monday morning application. You can decide what wins. Here's how. Every day, you can decide to be frustrated in the process or praise in the process. You choose. Next one, I can decide to play the victim or be the overcomer. You choose. What are you gonna let win? Oh, every single one of us could let the victim win. But you do? You're gonna live in defeat. Or you can choose, I'm an overcomer. That's what God calls me. Next one, I can decide to focus on the negativity or focus on the promise of God. I can choose. I can decide to grow or complain, but I can't do both. You wanna complain? You're not gonna grow. Stop hanging out with people who do nothing but complain and gossip all day long. You're feeding yourself the wrong thing. No wonder you feel like crap at the end of the day. And here's the last one. I can decide to let my pain win or I can decide to let joy win. Worship team, you all come up. But Habakkuk's not done. I got one more verse, and it is the best verse. Habakkuk says, yet I will wait patiently for the Lord. And even if there is no fig tree and the crops fail, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in my God. And then next verse, he says, because here's what I've learned in the process. The Lord God is my strength. He is my personal bravery, and he is my invincible army. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me able to walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make progress upon the high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. Here's what I've learned. Go back to the top. The Lord is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like a hind's feet, and he makes me to walk, not stand still in terror, but walk and make progress upon the high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. I'm not stuck. I'm being trained. I'm not waiting. I'm making progress. I'm in a process, and there's progress on the other side. I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory. I know who I am, and I am not weak. I'm an overcomer. So today, I will rejoice in my God, and I will joy today.